Good morning. Assalamu alaikum. Ni hao. Bonjour. Hola. And I'm going to try this one. Zdraf zvute. Hello. Welcome to St. Paul's. My name is Ben, and I'm glad that you're here for this Easter season with us and for those watching online. I don't know if you're able to catch the six official UN languages that I just greeted you all. The last one was Russian. Apologies. But looking around the room, I'm sure that there are a lot more other languages that I probably missed. And greetings almost always have some literal meaning. Ni hao, for those that know any Mandarin, literally, you, good. Bonjour, if you remember your French class, bon, good. Jour, day, good day. And assalam alaikum, peace be upon you. Salam, shalom. It's the same greeting that we hear Jesus use three times in our gospel reading this morning. Arabic and Hebrew, they're so closely linked. Salam alaikum, shalom alakem. And Jesus appears to his disciples and he greets them. Shalom, peace be with you. Over the next 50 days during this Easter season, in the fallout of Jesus' resurrection, we are starting a preaching series called Resurrection Stories where we'll hear several eyewitness encounters of the risen Jesus recorded in the Bible. We'll hear how ordinary people encountered him, how they responded to him, because here at St. Paul's, we believe that Jesus is here with us now. And wherever you are in your understanding of what happened that first Easter, we believe that you can encounter Jesus too. So this morning, we have this first resurrection story and we're going to explore how these ordinary people, people filled with fears and doubts, how they encountered Jesus and how ordinary people responded to him. These first century people, they are similar to us in some ways, right? They've got doubts, they've got fears. And how they encountered Jesus, how they responded to Jesus, might give us a bit of a hint of how we might encounter Jesus, how we might respond to him. Today's resurrection story is a continuation from the Gospel of John, the fourth biography of Jesus' life. And during Holy Week and Easter, if you were here, you would have read some of the lead-up to this passage. Jesus has his last supper, and he's with his disciples and students. He's betrayed by one of them, then he's arrested. Then he's denied by his closest friend. And then questioned, tortured, and killed in the most humiliating way naked for all the world to see on a cross, a hideous Roman apparatus for execution. Three days later, early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene visits the tomb and it's empty. She reports to the other disciples and they run over and they can only confirm the same thing, that, yep, tomb's empty. And finally, Mary sees Jesus. She meets him and she is the first one to encounter the risen Jesus and she goes back now with a second report. I have seen the Lord. And this is where our, our reading picks up what Rachel read for us. John chapter 20, verse 19. And in the Pew Bibles in front of you, it's on page 115, if you want to take a look. Evening on that day, the first day of the week. But before we get any deeper into this narrative, there are two stumbling blocks, two challenging questions that might trip us up, and I want to make sure that we can address them first. Here at St. Paul's, we, we value questions, and we, 
we value the wrestling with challenging parts of the Bible. And especially for those that if you're here new or you're spiritually searching, this is a value that we have of looking deeper into the hard parts of the Bible. And so at the start of our section, we have in verse 19, the disciples together, doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Many other translations might read for fear of the Jews. And this troubling phrase has been the basis of so much anti-Semitism in the history of the church. Christians have used this as justification to seek revenge against the Jews on behalf of Jesus. And as a church, we wholeheartedly reject that and we repent of our role in the oppression and persecution of Jewish people. Let's be clear, Jesus himself, he was a Jew, born to Jewish parents, lived according to Jewish customs, crucified, died a Jew. And his first disciples, his, those students, all Jews. So maybe this, this, this phrase should best be understood as fear of the Jewish leaders and authorities. Those religious leaders who collaborated with the Roman system of oppression. The other challenging part is, if you caught it, is in verse 22, 23, where Jesus gives his disciples the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we often neglect this in our understanding of God and, and even in our preaching, I admit. But we will have a full four-week series focused on the Holy Spirit in a few more uh, coming up in May. And so hold on to those Holy Spirit thoughts. So let's now, now that that's out of the way, let's, let's go deeper into this narrative, into all the different characters, all their different emotions, and let's imagine ourselves there. We have the disciples huddled together in a room. The doors are locked the evening of that first day. Jesus' closest friends, his, his students, the ones who followed him for, two, for three years, they're rightfully scared and fearful. Those leaders, those religious leaders, they had arrested their teacher and they had successfully conspired to kill him. For all they knew, they were next. Step one, get rid of the leader. Step two, get rid of every last remnant of this Jesus movement. For them, at least two things were confirmed, right? Jesus had been killed three days ago, and now his tomb is empty. And that's when Mary comes back with that second message. I have seen the Lord. What? Mary has seen Jesus? So now on top of being scared, they are perplexed. Empty tomb, yes, that's provable. You can go see a tomb and see if there's something in it. Seeing Jesus, no way. That must be a hallucination, vision of a ghost. So it's into the midst of this confusion, into the midst of this fear that Jesus appears. He comes to them in the dark depths of their fear. And the first word he says is that greeting, shalom. Do not fear, be at peace, shalom, peace be upon you. Jesus had every right to meet his disciples with words of disappointment, maybe even anger, condemnation. They had betrayed and denied him just days ago. These friends, they had unfriended him. These followers had unfollowed and they had scattered when he needed them most. And Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn it. And so here, Jesus doesn't come to his disciples with that word of rebuke, an angry word, but instead 
he comes declaring peace, shalom. And then he shows his, his hands, his side. He's not a ghost. This is not mass hallucination. Somehow this body, this body is the same body that was tortured and nailed on a cross. But it's also a body that can go through doors. Jesus met them where they are, in the fear behind locked doors. And he met them in the depths of their fear and he gave them peace. And the fear of the disciples, it melts away. And now they're, they are just overjoyed. Joy upon joy. And once again, Jesus says, peace. Peace be with you. Shalom. So maybe you're a little bit like these first century fishermen. Maybe you're feeling a little bit scared, huddled in a corner. And you've heard about Jesus and he has amazing teachings of love and forgiveness. And you're like, you know, I can get behind that. I can rally behind that. But then there's a the fallout of the cross. There's this torture that you hear about. And you're scared about what his death means now. Because maybe you fear that following Jesus means that now there's a target on your back. But Jesus is here coming to meet you wherever you are, even with that fear. Even in the locked room of your heart. And he's coming with a message of peace. Shalom. Back in this narrative, this encounter with the disciples, with Jesus, it's so amazing that it's a, you got to see it to believe it moment. But somehow, Thomas, he's not there. And Thomas, he always gets a bad rap. He gets that nickname, Doubting Thomas. And why don't we call Peter, Denying Peter? You know, Peter denied Jesus three times in a row, and in my eyes, denying a friend, way worse than doubting a friend. And if you've been around the church for any time, you've heard this story before, it's familiar. You've probably heard it other years. But if you're new to the church, or if you're spiritually seeking, maybe Thomas is familiar for another reason, because you see yourself in Thomas. You see yourself, you can imagine yourself in his place. By the time Thomas comes back, the other disciples are excited to tell him the amazing news. We have seen the, the Lord. It's the same message that Mary gave, and now the disciples, they're giving that message to Thomas. But he's not convinced. He can't believe this news. He doubts them. And Thomas only wants what the other disciples had received. They had seen Jesus, hands and wounds. And Thomas wanted to have that same experience, to have that same eyewitness encounter with Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus' hands and wounds not like a Star Trek holodeck projection, not like a virtual video zoom, not like a dolly simulation. He wanted to see Jesus in the flesh, just as the other disciples had seen him. And he says, I will not believe unless, and those conditions are pretty crystal clear. I want to see the marks on his hands. I want to feel that wound. But oddly, Thomas must wait another eight days, another week before meeting Jesus, before these, these conditions can be met. We have this week-long pause where nothing is recorded. In fact, it's that next Sunday where the disciples are still in the house again. They're still doors locked. And we should probably wonder here, what were they doing during this self-imposed lockdown? We probably have our own memories of what we might have done. But what else did they try to tell Thomas? They had a whole week to try to convince him. 
But whatever they told him, he still wasn't convinced. You see, I don't think that doubting Thomas is a fair description because really, Thomas doesn't doubt Jesus. He doubts the disciples. You know, they had this great news. We have seen the Lord. Great, amazing, amazing news. But they're still locked up in the house. They're still scared. Sure, there was joy that first time when they saw Jesus, but they're locked in fear and Jesus has to appear another time. Another time to tell them that same message, peace, shalom. Luckily, this time, Thomas is there. So as Jesus comes, he knows exactly the conditions that Thomas had demanded. And just as Jesus doesn't rebuke the disciples for their fear, Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas either. He doesn't say, why did you doubt your friends? Why didn't you believe the good news that they told him? Instead, Jesus offers Thomas what he had asked for. Jesus offers his body for examination. And here's Thomas's chance. He can examine those nails, the nail wounds, and the side of Jesus. Thomas was so much farther into despair than the other disciples. It was bad enough that his teacher had been killed. The tomb is empty. But then he had, mi- he had missed the risen Jesus. He had missed that comeback tour. It's like a flash sale, here and gone. Or when you missed your flight connection. But that feeling was amplified so much more. Thomas just wanted what the other disciples had experienced, that physical presence of Jesus, to see his scarred and wounded body. And although Jesus offers to Thomas to inspect him, most scholars would agree that Thomas probably didn't put his hand up like that. Not like in that that Caravaggio painting. Because his immediate response is, my Lord and my God. Once Thomas was in the presence of the risen Jesus, he worshipped him. You know, others had already called Jesus Lord. But Thomas is the first one to call Jesus my God. He might have started out as a skeptic when he heard the news from Mary and the other disciples. But now he's the one proclaiming my Lord and my God. What a development of his character. What a development of his belief. So this morning, we've heard the first of these different encounters with the risen Jesus. We hear these disciples, fearful and hiding, locked behind doors. And they're still locked in fear that week later. So I asked you here, what are your fears? Are you afraid to be associated with a man who was executed? Who was humiliated? Or are you afraid that your faith might be a dead end, an end of mission failure? Or maybe you're on another side where you're afraid that Jesus might be angry with you. You think that Jesus might be angry that you failed him, that you betrayed him, that you denied him. But Jesus responds to that fear. He responds to our fear by proclaiming a peace that transcends the world. Because his peace is not just the peace that we talk about with the UN, with peacemakers and peacekeepers. It's not just the absence of violence or the absence of hostility. Because Jesus' peace, the peace that he proclaims, it's written in the wounds of his hands. His peace is not just a pious pipe dream. It's actually been through torture. 
Jesus has experienced the deepest, darkest parts of our humanity so that he can meet us wherever we are, including in the deepest, darkest parts of our fears. Or maybe you identify more with Thomas. You're doubting, you have questions for Jesus. I want to make a plug that our Alpha program is a great place to bring these questions and these doubts. And it's not too late to join this coming Wednesday where we're going to actually discuss who is Jesus. But even if you're unsure of, you're unsure of Jesus just like Thomas was, I'm still glad that you're here with us this morning. Thomas was with those other disciples. And they all together, they were wanting, they were waiting to see Jesus and meet him. Or maybe you have other suspicions and doubts. Maybe you're suspicious of the church, of our institutions. We have this history of supporting slavery. There are ways in which Christians have twisted the scriptures to be anti-Semitic, to attack our Jewish cousins. Maybe you're doubting the Christians when they say, we have seen the Lord and it sure doesn't look like they do. They don't act like it. You want to meet Jesus not just scared and confused followers. So if you're a doubting Thomas, a doubting Ben, a doubting Jenny, a doubting Tyler, whichever you are, Jesus comes to meet you with whatever fears you have, with whatever doubts you have. Jesus offers his body for inspection to Thomas. And today, Jesus is offering each and every one of us his personal presence. You see, Thomas didn't have everything sorted out but he still met Jesus. Jesus still came to see him all the same. So today, Jesus offers his peace, his personal presence to all of us. And he promised that when two or three are gathered together in his name, there he will be. And so if you're 100% convinced, or even if you're only 1% convinced, everyone can receive Jesus this morning. So as I close, I invite you to consider how you might receive and meet Jesus this morning. Maybe it'll be during communion that you might choose not to receive bread and wine. But I encourage you, come up for prayer. Let the communion administrants pray for Jesus' peace to be upon you today. That Jesus' peace will melt away the fears that you have and replace it with joy. And if you do choose to receive communion, you receive the bread and wine, a good way to respond is to say, my God, my Lord, and my God. Because Christians believe that at this, at this meal, this Eucharist meal, Jesus is present, presiding over his table. And Jesus wants a personal relationship with you. So Jesus comes to each of us, wherever we are with whatever fears and whatever doubts we have, and we can, each of us, we can respond, my Lord and my God. Amen.